you know, it reminds me of my dad and being down in my dad's uh, our basement or our garage, and we have the engine in one place, and we got the carburetor, and got all the right parts. But it's bringing those parts together to make it work more effectively, efficiently, and go 200 miles an hour for maximum growth. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. So I'm here with uh, Dan Cushell. Dan, thanks for being here, man. Really appreciate you making time for us today. Absolutely. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you, Kevin. I know you've had some of our Genius Network on, one of my favorite people, Brian Kurtz, just a handful oh, yeah. of episodes ago. And uh, I know you've been in real tight circles with a, a lot of mutual friends that we've yeah. got. Yeah, it's been cool to get to know each other. Our buddy uh, Dean Edelson introduced us. And uh, yeah, sure, there's there's lots more conversations to come. And we've probably been in a room together a couple of times and, and uh, you know, just didn't get to sit down and at the corner together, you know? Exactly, exactly. So this will be a lot of fun. And look, man, you're an amazingly accomplished uh, businessman. You now are part of, uh, you know, the, the team over there at the Genius Network. What is your official title over there with Joe? Well, we don't do titles. Uh, and so I, I guess I'd call myself a growth partner. Okay, cool. Yeah, that would, that would be the title. I help drive sales, uh, drive profitability, conversions for, for sales. You know, essentially, I, uh, my specialty is creating and advancing momentum for companies and entrepreneurs. And, uh, yeah, I guess what that means is maximizing optimizing and scaling your sales and profits in a nutshell. Mm, very cool. Uh, what, eager to dig into the process of, of how you go to, about that, what works, what doesn't. Um, but I want to go back to, I'm always fascinated. It, one of my favorite things about this business is that why things like Genius Network and other groups like that are so uh, valuable and fascinating is that everybody there has their own story about how they ended up in business, right? Or yep. how they ended up in, in this world of marketing and uh, direct response um, where so many of us live. Uh, what's your story, Dan? And I want to even go back to a specific. Can you remember a moment in your life? You grew up in, in Detroit, right? Or, this, or yep. outside of Detroit, blue collar. Inner city. Inner yeah, city. Inner okay, city. wow. Yep. Okay. Inner okay. city, blue collar. Yeah. Um, yep. So... What was, was, was there a moment or something you remember doing as a kid where uh, it was the first sort of spark of entrepreneurialism? Well, yes. You know, I, A, it was sports, right? Because that's the, uh, one of the ultimate forms of meritocracy, meaning your results show up right away. It's direct response, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? No doubt, yeah. You either perform or you don't. And uh, so it started there. But, um, you know, I, I grew up in the inner city. My dad worked for a big uh, major auto company the largest in the world at the time. And I saw him get laid off, Kevin, about nine different times, and it created this uncertainty, this insecurity. You know, there were times we were on welfare. I remember going to this little market near our house called Farmer Jack's with food stamps. And I remember being uh, 10 years old saying, I never want to uh, be in a position where I'm working for the man. And that was a catalyst. And then my dad introduced me, thankfully, to personal development. I went to my first uh, seminar uh, when I was 10. It was a baseball uh, seminar, basically, uh, but what the, I can still picture the, the manual that they gave out. Uh, I think I have it in storage still. Uh, I can remember the page 
that stood out the most, it was about, they called it PMA, positive mental attitude. And the, like the first sentence went something like this. It was, uh, your, your success in baseball, sports, and life is 90% mental and the rest physical. Mm. And, and that has just stuck with me for, for, for the duration. And, you know, so that was the catalyst, uh, Kevin. And then, you know, my dad did tinker around with a couple businesses. Uh, my dad, you know, was the kind of guy like down in our garage or in our basement, he had, you know, all kinds of auto parts all the time. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, you know, I kind of feel like in many ways I'm, I'm an extension of, you know, my bloodline, my dad and, you know, what he did with cars, you know, like you might see an engine over in the corner or tires over in another corner and a carburetor sitting on the workbench. Uh, from a business point of view, what I can do is I can see those parts pretty easily and then I can bring them together. Uh, we even without a, someone else handing me a blueprint, I can put the car together and that car will run 200 miles an hour. Hmm. In other words, growing the, the sales and profitability. But it started, yeah, I think out of frustration, out of fear, frankly, from, you know, what the journey my dad was on. And then I got introduced deeper into direct response marketing. Uh, I think the first major book I read beyond that was a book my dad also bought me, I think when I was 16 or 17, called Mentally Tough, How to Apply Sports Psychology in Business uh, by Dr. James Lohr, I believe is his name. Mm -hmm. And it really hit me. And my dad had always said as a kid, Kevin, uh, Dan, if you apply the same focus and energy and desire in your pursuit of anything else like you do with baseball, because that was my dream as a kid was to play pro ball. Uh, he said, if you apply the same mindset, you'll be successful at anything you do. And so I, I got introduced to that mentally tough concept. Then I worked in a, my sister got me a job, Kevin, in a direct response company, mm. like, uh, during the summers, right? I think I was 17, which is when I graduated early out of high school uh, at 17. And so during the summers I'd work in this direct response and I got so fascinated, right? So this is back in the, uh, what eighties, right? Uh, and there were no internet. I mean, there was internet, but it wasn't like it is today. It wasn't accessible to, you know, people, at least like me at that time, <laughs> growing right. up in the inner city of Detroit. Hell, I don't remember getting cable at my house mm-hmm. until I was 22. Wow. Uh, right. So we had five stations. So they kind of give a perspective, but I was so fascinated by the psychology, right? That when you could put words on a piece of paper and people would bloody respond to the thing, right? Mm-hmm. They would pick up the phone, they'd call right now, and then you could track it. So I started uh, on that path at 17, thanks to my sister. And so then I, I started getting introduced to people like Tony Robbins and Tom Hopkins and Zig Ziglar. And I just immersed myself in learning and getting educated, but I went deeper with direct marketing. And at 22, I uh, started my first company. It was a, a direct mail, uh, direct response company for the health club industry. And what we would do, if you were the owner of the club, Kevin, uh, imagine if I came to you and said, hey, Kevin, uh, you know, I know you own your club. You're an independent owner. Uh, I, I know you own your club. If I could, if, if I were willing to front the risk and pay for running TV ads for your club, radio ads, and direct mail, and we project that we'll generate anywhere from three to 500 new members in your club at off-peak times, and we'll front the risk, and then after we run that campaign, we'll split the profits. Would you be open to it? Right. Yeah. Pretty hard to say no to that. Yeah. So that was our irresistible offer. Right. You know, I know in your show and in, in, in what you do, irresistible offers are critical. So, you know, that's that's a great lesson as you're listening right now is what is your irresistible offer that you can c- 
create. So we'd go into these clubs, and then I had a little twist. I built an assessment model back, this was 1992, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I recognized that most people running clubs were, or in most businesses just weren't always educated on business. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like we were taught this stuff in school, right? right. I mean, we kind of learn, it's the school of hard knocks. So I built an assessment because I believe sales and influence was critical. So I hired a programmer who had uh, cashed out from Apple. His name was Cyrus. And he wrote a custom software for me that was uh, uh, computer-based, not web-based. And essentially, imagine you have your you and your team, and we'd have you and your team, whether they were customer service reps, sales reps, guys that were the trainers, all take this assessment on your ability to sell, persuade, and influence. And it would, we broke it down into seven categories. Uh, it was about, a, I forget at that time, it was probably 30 to 40 questions. Uh, everything from rapport building to uh, understanding the psychology of prospecting to closing to handling objections to follow up, et cetera. And it would spit out your scorecard, your, 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 your score of what you were good at and what you needed help in. And guess what our company did to bridge all this? On top of feeding them a fish by driving the direct response campaign that we did, we fed them a fish, uh, or I'm sorry, we taught them to fish by building a sales training program that they would have after we left hmm. to continually keep their team trained and, and updated. So that was my start in wow. 1992. Uh, <laughs> so. at, at, at 22, that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like it, it, our friend Dean Jackson says, uh, you know, what would you do if you only got paid for results? Yes. And that's, I think, blows people's minds because they, they it's just so counter to most people's instincts of, no, 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 no. You, you got to pay me and take a chance on this along with me and I'll work really hard for you, right? But it's true. Like if you can create what you did there and walk into somebody that is truly the irresistible offer. They only skepticism or, or mistrust <laughs> uh, of somehow being jaded by, you know, similar big promises could keep somebody from saying yes to that. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and speaking in terms of like marketing and copywriting, you know, as a, for, for people that might be in that world, you know, if you go to someone and say to them, you know, imagine if I were able to help you generate $20 million in your business, whether it's over the next six months or a year or three years, how much would you be willing to pay me for that? Right. Right. It's a little different approach than, right. you know, here are my fee. It's, you know, it's, it's projecting what your value proposition, that result in advance might be. And, you know, Robert Caldini just released a great new book called Presuasion, which, you know, he talks about the, the power of large numbers, and you're a master at this, Kevin, as you know, is, you know, the value juxtaposition, if you can do that early in what it is you deliver in advance, I mean, it, it makes it easier for people to say yes, and it eliminates the friction and creates a, you know, a, a better expectation and a better experience, if, obviously, there's the big if, right. if you can deliver yeah. what it is that you're selling, because, you know, there, there's that side of it, too. <laughs> yeah, got to pull the thing off, right? You That's can't, right. can't just get good at the talking uh, about it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, I, I just quickly want to go back to baseball. Um, yep. Because, you know, you're, you're, it's fascinating to me. Uh, so that was your thing. You, you just end up working at this direct response agency. You get fascinated. Uh, you obviously it was a nice fit for you because what you were able to do at such a young age. But uh, at what point um, did you see all uh, 
this high level thinking begin to affect your sports career, your, your dream of uh, succeeding in baseball? Well, you know, that, that I think for me, it was an obsession because of where I came. I mean, I thought of the idea of playing ball and making millions of dollars, Kevin, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I wanted to take care of my family. I mean, it, it sucked like in the winters when we didn't have heat. And, you know, and we had to go to the church to get food at, you know, certain holidays. I mean, that, that was just nowhere I wanted. I, and I know my dad did the best he could and my mom did, too. And then there were some circumstantial things around it. But for me, it was more like it, it wasn't so much. Not, you know, I, I'm sure it was the moving toward thing to a degree, but it was more of the moving away mm-hmm. factor. You know, you know, Tony Robbins thing and a lot of experts in, in psychology, you know, we do things out of two main reasons, the desire to gain pleasure or to avoid pain or fear. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, you know, I think I early on was driven because I really just didn't want to live this way or my family to live that way anymore. So thankfully, I think the biggest thing I got was the power of influence and who you hang around Hmm. makes a big difference, right? You know, I had a lot of my friends, you know, that along the way were into some weird stuff, as you could imagine, from drugs to, you know, uh, doing drugs to selling drugs to, you know, just, you know, being hoodlums, right? And I could have easily, easily gone that path. For whatever reason, I chose to be careful and cautious of who I was spending my time around. And it just made sense if I wanted to be better at anything, and back then it was baseball, that I needed to learn from some of the top people. And thankfully, I had a dad and a you know, family structure that my dad really encouraged me to, he didn't push, he encouraged that whatever I wanted to pursue as far as getting better to go for it and practice. And I mean, I was obsessed, man. I was mm. just, you know, I, I, I was doing plyometric training back in the 80s that I had found in like magazines buried on these shelves. I mean, it, like I think back to some of this crazy shit I was doing. I mean, I, I, you know, hey, here's here's one word that I think would describe me in a nutshell. I mean, I'm not this. Uh, this will be more words and then I'll get to the one word. Um, I'm not the smartest guy around, Kevin. I'm not the most talented. I'm not, I don't even consider, I've had so many failures in business. It, it's, you know, I, if I looked at that part, it would be like, oh my God. Like, but the thing that I do is I'm not afraid to make mistakes. And the one word that probably represents me, if there's one word to do that, it's just being an overachiever, hmm. you know, yeah. because I just want more and I believe we can. And uh, it's stretching the boundaries of who we are what we do and who we can do it for. And, you know, and, and I think for me, it's about coming from contribution. It's about being able to go out and make a, a bigger impact. And now I have 11 and nine year old, uh, my kids, my daughter's 11, my son is nine, Kevin. And so mm-hmm. it's now also leaving that footprint for them. It's about leading by example for them. Mm-hmm. So that's fantastic. Um, Here's what's fascinating. You're, you're a good guy. Right? Uh, that's clear to me. I, you can't fake it, right? Yep. Um, your heart is in the right place. Your motivation is in the right place. But you are you're traveling in some very uh, high circles here. Uh, you're, you have access and you privately counsel some of the biggest um, n- needle movers on the planet people who are doing stuff that will affect uh, how we live for years into the future. Um, 
is there any almost intangible thing that people like that possess uh, beyond drive, beyond the desire to succeed? Is there, do you have to be a little bit of a sociopath <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to succeed on such a high level and to produce on such a high level? Well, that, that is a great, great question. As <laughs> you said, sociopath, I'm like looking in the mirror going, uh, yep, T-shirt, yep, I think so. Um, so I think, I mean, I do think, you know, the, the unreasonable people in the world move the world, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if you go into Steve Jobs, you know, the, the you know, breaking out of the status quo, and I, I think there's truth there. I think that. You know, if you want to do big things, you know, you've got to do what scares you. I remember one of my early mentors in my uh, 20s, he says, do what you fear and scares you most and do it twice. (laughs) Right. That's how how I got into this whole world, because the (laughs) thing that scared me most when I was 17, 18, like in high school, I was shy. I was quiet. I was introverted. In fact, Mm -hmm. I was so reserved, Kevin, and probably, I I guess, another way that in reality it would show up is self-conscious, except on a, a sports platform, except it um, on a baseball field, football field, or basketball court, I was different. But in in other environments, because the environment does play a role, in these other environments, man, I was so shy and quiet. People misunderstood me and thought I was stuck up, <laughs> right? Right. And it, it, was, it was weird. And then like when I heard this mentor say, do what you fear most and what scares you the most and do it twice, do it over and over again. And I was like, what's the thing that scares me the most? It was speaking in front of people. And so it I think 17 or 18, I joined Toastmasters. Like, yeah. who does that? Like, I, I look back at some of these choices <laughs> yeah. I made and I go, wow, it's kind of interesting. So I think there's also this thing of being able to go out. And I think if I had to sum up two words, next level, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe three words, next level thinking that all of these, you know, Dan Sullivan calls them industry transformers, seem to have is this next level perspective. And it actually starts with them or themselves, like Joe, uh, Joe Polish from Genius Network. Mm -hmm. And I've never met anybody who's willing to disrupt himself as much as he does Mm. and, and strive to be a better human being at the level he does. And, you know, I think most of the people in Genius Network, most of the people in these platforms that we're playing are very similar with their way of looking at they they're disruptors they're innovators and core of it they have that next level doing and thinking about what they want to to accomplish yeah nice answer so um yeah we're not calling anybody sociopaths uh, <laughs> but uh <laughs> um it, let's talk about joe for a minute um yeah if we could i i, I want to um talk about joe in a way that no one could talk about themselves uh, I've known Joe long enough, um, and we're not close, but we've been in each other's world enough through friends like John Carlton um, that I feel like I've got some pretty good insights to Joe and how he operates. Um, and obviously, he's a very impressive guy. We talk about a guy of humble beginnings, you know, a lot like you. I mean, Joe famously talks about his his addictions and uh, all the things he had to overcome, but. You know, there's just no stopping this guy, right? Yep. Um, he just continues, like you said, to 
disrupt himself, to find ways to get better, to expand his network even more. Um, was that, how long have you known Joe and been in his world? Uh, I met Joe back in, uh, it was either 2000 or 2001. Okay, uh, I was actually speaking at an event that he was attending and he bought my program. That's how we got introduced wow. to each other. Okay, yeah. cool. So has there been a moment in, in, in his life where it could have started to, I don't want to say fall apart, but, you know, like he could have peaked. Uh, and because we said it a lot in this business, right? You know, somebody's the hot thing for a while and they get all this going on. And then you look up a couple of years later and go, hey, what happened to that that Larry guy? That Larry guy was, ew, we haven't heard his name, right? Yeah. This is not happening with Joe. What What is it that keeps Joe moving forward uh, and and behind the scenes, you know, if you can share some dirt, I'd love to hear. Um, was there a moment, and this is not talking out of school, something Joe wouldn't say, but, you know, were there decisions like all business owners he had to make that uh, went his way when it could have went the other way? That, that's a great, great question. And, you know, I'll, I'll even kind of repeat what Dan Kennedy said about him at an introduction he did a few years ago at an event that Joe spoke at, which is, Joe is the most, and I'm paraphrasing, Joe is the most insatiably curious mm. human being that most people will ever meet. Mm. And, and that can be a curse, right? Mm -hmm. And it can be a gift. And he deals with both, as we all do. We all have our own curses and we have our own gifts. We all do. And it's just a question of whether we want to admit them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like addiction. You know, most of us that are entrepreneurs, we deal at least mm. with the workaholism addiction, Uh if we admit it, most yeah. most of us do, uh, and likely some other ones too. At least I know I have battled my uh, things. Um, but the reality, I think we all have the gift and the curse. And for Joe, it's he has this insatiable curiosity, and what that means, and how it shows up, and how Joe channels it, uh, is he will seek out the best. Like when he is faced with any question in his mind, any question. I mean, it could be like the smallest. It could be a five dollar question. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. This would be the curse. If it's a five dollar question, sometimes he like I, I've seen him go like try to, you know, he's trying to put out a candle with a seven fire trucks. <laughs> right. 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 Because of just wanting to master it. Right. But on the other side of it, when he's faced with the issue of the, the big decisions, which is where he plays most of the And I, you know, this, hey, this goes for, you know, lots of us that that. Uh, do what we do when he's focused on the big big things he does the same thing he'll enroll the best in the world at certain issues right if he wants to solve a if he wants a copy but like joe would say hey i'm a really good copywriter but i could hire the best copywriters in the world and like he would go if i needed a copywriter who would i reach out to you know right. he'd reach out to a guy like you who courts and has curated some of the top copywriters in the world, right? He'd reach out to Paris Lampopoulos, mm -hmm. uh, who's, he's already in Genius Network, Brian Kurtz, who ran Boardroom, who also curated some of the top copyright. So if he were looking to solve that problem, he would just go find the answer from who was the best at it, right? Uh, if it was a health issue, which you know he's, he's dealt with, he would go find the smartest person on that particular field and likely three or get three, four, five different perspectives to make that decision. So I think it's that insatiable curiosity, his willing to disrupt, his willing to innovate hmm. and not settle. And, and I think he 
again, for better or for worse at times, it can be, um, he, he doesn't settle on an answer or the answer. He's always looking, what's the better answer? You know, I think that was a big thing with Steve Jobs. If, you know, if, if you're listening right now and you've read Steve's book or seen the movies, Steve Jobs was always apparently asking the question, how can we do this better? What's a better way? And Joe, Joe is, you know, uh, always seeming to do that in everything mm-hmm. with the people he surrounds himself with, with the issues he deals with, with himself and, mm-hmm. you know, what his, his high standard. That's another thing. Joe has always seemed to have high standards and he consistently looks to raise that up, rise it up. So those awesome. are a few things. Fantastic. Yeah, whole, yeah. Yeah. Really great. Appreciate that. Um, because, you know, the reason I wanted to ask that is you're very impressive. And if you, you're clearly all in with Genius Network. When I asked you what link would you like me to share with people to so they can learn more about you, you said Genius Network. Yeah. And, and GrowthToFreedom.com, which, of course, we'll link both of those. But um, it's interesting to me because a lot of times it, it's clear like you're not, this isn't some temporary partnership where you're like, ah, for now, I guess we'll use that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like right. none of that. It's like, this is your, this is your world. You're owning it as much as he is right now. And so I thought that was a great perspective on, on why some of the reasons why. Thank um, you. Oh, what, here's one other yep. thing about Joe too. Here's the other part along with all of that and standards and striving, mm-hmm. you know, Joe, uh, lives by this belief as I see it. And I think he's said it a version of this. I don't want to say that Joe said it because I, I might misquote it. And that is uh, never ask anybody to do something that you didn't do, were, weren't willing or did for them first. Mm. Right. So relationship capital is also one of his number, you know, high, high values, if not the top value. And what that means and how it shows up, Joe is invested more in his own personal development, coaching, consulting, uh, growth, right? Than, more than anybody that I've ever met. And I, I like to think I've invested quite a bit over the years, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in different programs, coaching, et cetera, some really great, some not so good, and a lot in the middle. And Joe, you know, I think he's invested, you know, over a million dollars in his personal development. And so that's another thing that's always stood out. Even when, before this role, I was the third member in Genius Network, right? Um, mm. Joe is incredibly generous and during the time that I was just a member in Genius Network, which was for five five years straight before I sold my companies, uh, Joe was always striving to be better, do better, and get better. And he, the way that worked for him was investing in himself. And he st- we still do that as a company today. So that's another factor that I think plays or lends itself to, you know, what who he is, what he stands for, and also the fact that he consistently can seems to be growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so it's like be your own best example but always be championing others right yes it's not it's not just about joe joe's not talking about joe all the time uh uh but if you need evidence of the fact that this stuff works there's no greater example than himself Uh, yes that's 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 fantastic um, man, time is um, slipping by so much faster than I, <laughs> I, I wish it was, Dan, because this is a great conversation, and I, I hope maybe we can do this again. Jeez, um, uh, two ways I want to go right now. And I, I have to ask you the um, essential question of the show as well. Uh, but can we talk just for a minute about uh, growth? Growth is your 
that's where you hang your hat, right? Um, you help you help businesses, you know, get to that, like you said, that next level. Um, if you if, if there's one thing, if if I said Dan, I'll give you five minutes. I'll watch a video. Uh, give me the one thing I got to know when it comes to growing my business. What is it? Wow. The one thing. The one thing. <sighs> Obviously, there's not one thing, right? But yeah. maybe, maybe it's the one thing that helps me see the big picture of what, why so many people don't grow. Yeah. So my, I, I, I guess I have to start with mindset, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so – you know, I'll, I'll share a framework, Kevin, that I that I think will play well. You know, I think there's six key areas in building and growing a business that we need to be aware of. It doesn't mean mean we have to be the one doing it, and it doesn't mean we have we personally have to be the master of it. Mm-hmm. It's just to be aware of these six functioning parts in our business. It's marketing, and I I lead with marketing uh, on purpose, not just because I'm on your show that's about marketing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so marketing. Uh, selling or influence, depending on what word you want to use, selling influence, uh, leadership, productivity, mindset or emotional mastery, and then hiring and recruiting, right? Mm -hmm. So those six, uh, at the end of the day, if you're listening right now, and imagine what if you did yourself an evaluation and you evaluated those six key areas. So there's marketing, there's sales, there's leadership, productivity, mindset or emotional mastery, and hiring and recruiting in your company right now. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being greatest, where would you rate yourself on a low end from one, a high end of 10 in each of those six? Well, whatever your scale is, if it's not a 10, if you just take the time and go through, okay, what do I have to have happen in the next 12 months to improve those at least two points, right? Mm-hmm. So. Starting there and with those questions, that would be one of the simplest things people could do, A. Then B, then I'd go to marketing because <laughs> marketing for my money and time and energy, direct response marketing specifically, mm-hmm. is is the little hinge. I think this is a, a Kennedy quote, uh, the little hinge that swings uh, the big door. And here's the beauty of marketing. As you know, Kevin, and you've had a lot of great experts over the, over the time you've had your show and all the great things that you do that can speak to a lot of different angles of this. But imagine in these six areas, if you just improved 1% in each of these six areas every week for a year, Hmm. what would the company look like? What would you look like in your growth, in your development? Now, I learned this from sports because I I remember reading a book uh, by Pat Riley and he talked about uh, how we improved the Lakers back in the 80s and it was about this incremental shift with each of the 12 players each week in five or six key areas of their basketball skill sets and capabilities. And when you compound that with a team of 12 people times five or six key areas over a week times a 52 or a 26 week season, the results actually are exponential. So the beauty of like marketing, I mean, you know, number one, you can create exponential results in marketing with better messaging and being more compelling versus convincing or more compelling versus repelling, mm-hmm. right? And I know like even your book, The 60 Second Hook, is one of the best things if people just took the damn time mm-hmm. to go through it and got their messaging better to create a better hook, it would be life-changing because it shows up in all other parts of their business. And then you know, lead generation is another part of marketing that 
you know, I was in a salon, a nail salon with my wife the other day, and I happened to get into a conversation with Tracy, the owner, and I looked at her sign-in sheet, and she had 17 names on the list uh, on this day that we walked in, and I said, hey, do you email these people at all? I can't help myself when yeah. I walk any place, right? <laughs> right. I, I know you probably are the mm -hmm. same way. I watch TV different than most people <laughs> because I'm looking for the copy and the shit like that, and mm -hmm. so she had 17 people on a list, and I said, are you doing anything with email or phoning them or, or anything? She goes, no. I go, well, you have 17. I go, is this a big, busy day, a slow day? She goes, kind of slow. I said, well, I go, Tracy, imagine if you took had 17 people on your list here times, you know, 300 days a year, right? That's about 500 to 600 a month times 12 months. That's about 6,000 potential leads a year. I said, imagine if you just sent out one email a week or one text message a week to that list, even if it was half of that. And all of us have some part of our business with our lead generation system where we're leaking in the boat when we got either a small leak or we got huge leaks where water's gushing out of it, that we could plug that up with a better lead system and it would transform, this would transform her business, mm -hmm. right? It, you know, and, and it's, she's already got traffic. She already has these people and so many of us, whether it's brick and mortar or otherwise. So lead generation, another part of marketing is like point of sale. Uh, you know, creating an add-on or an upsell opportunity. And we see this with a lot of online marketers, but it also holds true in, in brick and mortars. And, you know, I, I hear people go, well, you know, I don't want to come across like I'm pressure. I was, I, I installed this in a, a client that, uh, a company that I, I created, which was the, the salespeople are like, well, I, I feel like I might be pressuring people and, and I'm not, I'm not totally comfortable. I said, well, first of all, let's shift your mindset. This isn't about pressure selling or pressure marketing. This is education based, right? And the long and the short of it, I know you've had great people like Brian and others that talk about education based and you do as well. I mean, you're one of the best at it. And, you. you know, you create an education based point of sale add on. Uh, in this one particular company, we did all they all we did was essentially say, uh, "Let me run this idea by, and if it works, great. If not, no problem." It's basically, it's a soft offer, and two out of every ten people took this add-on offer. And it, I've seen this time and time and time again. If people will just make some kind of add-on offer in a very, you know, uh, simple, elegant way that's education-based that I have found that the number seems to be two out of every 10. Well, this particular company I'm thinking of right now, we added an additional $400 per sale that we made. So two out of 10, that's $800 per 10. This particular company was doing 30 to 40 sales a week, right? That's six to eight add-on sales. That's 2,400 to $3,000 a week, 124 grand a year to 100 and I don't know, 50, I'm not doing the math right now, but uh, probably somewhere between 120 and 150 grand extra annual revenue. What would an extra 150 grand in revenue do for most small business owners today by just simply taking a different mindset and going, you know, I can make a better offer. I can be more compelling, right? You know, and even if you know, you're listening right now and your company isn't doing, you know, 30 or 40, well, what if you just added two of these a week not multiples a day, but two every week, that'd be $40,000 a year on this example. It'd be life-changing for most small business. So, yeah. so that would, you know, that would be like a, a little hinge in my, and then, you know, online sales. We meet a lot of people, Kevin, right, that are in online sales and they pride themselves. I'm online sales. And I find that most people in online sales are flat out and uh, uh, have gotten into being lazy. 
not because they want to, but they're likely following people who are lazy and therefore they do lazy things. But there is a better way. Like, for example, what if if you're an online marketer right now in every sale you made, right, depending on how large or small you are, um, what if every sale you made, you set up an add on opportunity and did a phone call to those people mm -hmm. every sale, mm -hmm. right? Because first of all, who in your industry and in your niche, if you're listening right now, that is doing a phone call on the back end of an offer that they purchased online? I don't know very many companies. It's very rare, if almost zero, that you'll get a phone call from a company after you order something online, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine if you, and I installed this in another company, right? And number one, you do a thank you. It's basically three simple parts. It's a thank you with a confirmation of the order. And then it's a soft, I want to run an idea by you. You know, like for example, um, you know, and what this does is it creates a deeper experience, a deeper bonding, deeper trust, you know, getting people to like, trust you and respect you mm -hmm. and do something unique, right? So imagine if you were doing X number of sales per week and you got a call, let's say, uh, whatever your business is, you got a call and said, hi, uh, Kevin, uh, this is Dan. I'm calling from XYZ Company. I just wanted to thank you for uh, getting started with us today and ordering the ABC program, right? And I want to confirm your information. We've got your address as your email address. And, you know, we're going to be sending you some follow-up information so you can get the most out of what we have to offer. Um, and by the way, do I have all your information correct? Yep. Awesome. Well, what's the number one reason that you decided to actually get the program today? Oh, awesome. Great. Hey, Kevin, I'm going to do something. I'm going to run an idea by you, and if it works for you, great, and if not, no problem. And then you go into a soft offer. I installed this in one particular company, Kevin, that I'm thinking of, mm -hmm. and we had that company, when they did the confirmation with the thank you and then did the soft offer, three out of ten people took the offer, mm. and they averaged another $250 per sale, $750 per 10 clients, this particular client was doing, had 100 sales a week, <laughs> Wow! right? That's $390,000 in annual revenue, you know, extracted. And, uh, and of course, all of these are theoretical examples. I can't promise any of this will happen for you if you do it. But what would it do for you if you added it? So if you look at this, incremental changes in any one mindset, mm -hmm. lead gen, doing an add-on sale point of purchase online or off, doing a follow-up confirmation add-on sale uh, in your follow-up process, and that we don't even have time to go into back-end sales, I'm sure, but I mean, you start adding all these things up, the incremental focus of just, I mean, this is four strategies, four simple ones. Over time, what would that do? I mean, yeah. and that's, that's one of the ways I think that I've been able, like I said earlier, you know, it reminds me of my dad and being down in my dad's uh, our basement or our garage, and we have the engine in one place, and we got the carburetor, and got all the right parts. But it's bringing those parts together to make it work more effectively, efficiently, and go 200 miles an hour for maximum growth. That's yeah, that's quite an answer, uh, and that's a hell of a five-minute report you just gave me. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, sign me up, and I will say this just just on the back end of that. Um, and, you know, should should be baked in to anybody who's listening. But if you hear that and you go, well, you know, that's a little aggressive for me. You know, like somebody just bought. I don't need to, like, you know, call them and try to upsell them there or whatever. Think of this. If it's like our my friend John Carlton says, uh, if you have something that, you know, can solve somebody's biggest problem, 
uh, shame on you for not doing everything in your power to put it in their hands. And so the, the little caveat to this is if you are creating products for the right reason yep. uh, and you believe in them, uh, isn't it a little wrong not to make a phone call like that and to, and to let people know that there is more there than they originally uh, saw? Um, you could say, well, you know, that's what I build funnels for. And let's make sure that, you know, I'll, I'll get the offer in front of them eventually. But compare that to actually ringing somebody's phone, which, as Dan mentioned, doesn't happen. Uh, that is like, people get freaked out when their phone rings, period. <laughs> uh, and it's usually something negative. But they you call them up and you say, hey, just saw you, you became our new customer. Fantastic. And you, you're asking questions about them, verifying their. That's a great experience. And the key is here, soft pitch. It isn't like then you, you know, you're going to drag them over the coals and say, right. you know, shake them upside down and see how much money they got in them. It isn't that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a genuine customer support call uh, with a, a bit of awareness to show them that there's more available. And uh, like you said, three out of ten, those other seven people didn't go away pissed. That's right. They went That's away right. feeling valued and uh, they were at least aware that there's more when they're ready. Yeah. And, you know, there are, again, these are, you know, strategies for the bigger picture. The other, you know, way someone could handle, I mean, just like Joe, when he speaks at events these days, which is really rare, but, you know, he, he transformed the speaking industry because he's like, you know, I don't really want to pitch from stage anymore. Right. That, right. That often. So the way he does it, he does a strategy that's a Gary Halbert strategy, which is a Canon clone process where, you know, he does his presentation and then he plays a video, mm -hmm. which is a Canon cloned enrollment process slash close. So, well, go to the bigger strategy of this. It's the idea of building a deeper bond because at the end of the day, people want more of what we have to offer. In right. most cases, they just don't know we have it. <laughs> right. Right. And and it doesn't matter if it's a yes or a no. It's just to make it available. So if someone is like, oh, I'm just not sure if that phone call and, and going into the sale. Well, here's a way that could be a great bridge to that. Uh, Kevin as well, which is you do the confirmation, you do the thank you, and then ask them the one question. Why do you, you know, what was the main reason you got this? You find out if it is a good fit and only a good fit, then you go to the next step. And in this case, the next step would be a Canon clone process would say, you know, based on what you shared with me, Kevin, I want to send you a link to a video about a program that we put together that I really feel could be a good fit if it is, right? You're not BSing them. It's right. a, if it's a good fit. And maybe you even create two or three of those types to kind of tailor for what people's response could be. So that could be another bridge mm -hmm. if someone is like, you know, I, I'll give you an example. One of the companies that I installed a process in, they were like, you know, I just can't, I, I don't feel like I can hire great salespeople in my company. And I said, well, what do you think you could find good customer service? He said, oh, yeah, it's customer service people. You can find those people all day long. So I created, I installed a model where basically people would uh, do a, a rapport building phase of a presentation and then they would play an audio tape that was the sale presentation. It included the pricing, the clothes, and all of it. And then at the end of it, then someone who was more savvy or, or understood influence, et cetera, who was comfortable you know, you know, asking for the order, would then get on. If the person was on at the end of the audio, right, they knew they had someone who had had some interest <laughs> because mm -hmm. they were still on, and then that person would enroll that person or attempt to enroll that person. 
So there's all kinds of different techniques or and what I hope comes out of this is not the techniques we might talk about, it's the strategy and the you know, for your yeah. business is figuring out what your strategy, but you know, these things, six key areas of business, what would have to happen and you know, improve your business over the next 12 months and then ideally focus your efforts into marketing because your direct response marketing changes and, and I could give you a dozen more strategies like that. I know we don't have time for that, but I could give you a dozen more type of strategies. These are just four or five that if you tweak these for your own situation today, your own business model today, in a year from now, if you got one of these in place or two of the four there are five that I mentioned in place, and your business would look very different and, and the profitability, the growth, the momentum you would have, your ability to go out and make a bigger impact, a bigger difference, a bigger contribution, I mean, what, what would that look like for you and, and be like? So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> Dan Cushell, man, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, deep, deep shares, really high value, man. Um, thank you. I, I appreciate it a ton. It's, it's great getting to know you. And I hope you'll become a friend of the show and come back and do this again sometime with us. I'd love to. I might have to come up with some new material. I don't know. I don't know. Is that it? Check it out. That might, I <laughs> think was, you extracted all, that was of this, all the all stuff. stuff right there. That's it right there. <laughs> I got nothing else. <laughs> Genius Network is where you can uh, find out more about what uh, Dan is doing with his uh, friend Joe Polish, who we all know and admire. Uh, Growth to Freedom is Dan's show. Uh, a podcast and actually a live broadcast at the same time. Uh, tons of great material over there. So, uh, again, Dan, thanks a lot. Hope to do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Hey, thanks again for listening to the Truth About Marketing podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes. Just log in click review, leave a big old fat five-star review, and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash TAM, as in truth about marketing. And if you'd like to uh, learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro, do all that on the inside of the members area of copychief.com and I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.